Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to this edition of Fishology, where we go over stats and advanced metrics on Marlins, Marlins players 2022, and who knows, maybe in the coming episodes could be future Marlins players. For this episode, we are talking about starting pitcher Jesus Luzardo. Looks to be a fun episode as we discuss Luzardo's stats, advanced metrics, and maybe how he came back after his injury this season. Of course, I'm joined today with Adam, Lewis. Guys, how are we feeling? Uh, encouraged, I guess, with the subject of our uh, our episode today. Yeah, I'm excited to be talking about the Marlins' hopeful number two starter going into next season, right? Sandy's going to be our ace, and Lazardo having the season that he did, hopefully he's our number two. And got a lot of information, I hope to get dive into that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So for um, Luzaro, some of his basic stats, 16 games, 4-7, and 3-3-2, ERA, 101 innings pitch, 120 strikeouts, and a 1.04 whip. Lewis, I want to go to you first. Luzardo um, almost was kind of two different players, pre-injury, post-injury. But when I say Luzardo, 
when I mention him, his 22 season, what sticks out to you first? Um, I mean, the, what's interesting is the pitch mix doesn't really change that much. So it leads you to, to ask yourself what really clicked for him, or at least what has begun to click because as we're hoping that this is the start of him really kind of coming into his own. I mean, you see the, um, I believe, I mean, this is an audio only medium, so we, you're not going to see the stat cast metrics on the screen, but he obviously, you know, the fastball played up a little bit. I believe last year he was in the 83rd percentile and average fastball velo, but this year it was a tick up and that's primarily due to the uptick in velocity about half a mile on the four seamer. And yeah, I think it's just the effectiveness of which he's using his pitches has gotten a lot better. Um, and I think we really began to see that at the end of 2021, I believe he went out with a 12 strikeout performance, if I'm not mistaken, where he did at least collect double digit strikeouts. And you're like, you know, it was a parting gift, I guess, to what was a really upsetting first go around in Miami. And you were just like, not sure, like, you know, we traded for this guy. He's so highly touted. And then he kind of just lays a big old performative goose egg. But spring training, he looked a lot better. The command had reined itself in a little bit. And then that first start of the year against the Angels in Los Angeles, he was phenomenal. He had 12 strikeouts. A new career high for Jesus Luzardo with the family in town to watch. He's been brilliant today. 12 Ks for Jesus. He made six starts prior to himself going on the injury list. Uh, I believe he had a 403 ERA in that stretch. 387 FIP, and then he just hit the IL with what was considered a forearm strain. And for something, you know, obviously when you're dealing with the arm, you're always going to kind of be skeptical. Any injury, any injury to a uh, pitcher's throwing arm, you know, always kind of looms concern. But he came back. The Marlins were diligent in their efforts to kind of conserve. Um, I guess his innings for this year, or maybe it just being cautious with the injury. And when he came back, he was terrific. I mean, he pitched to a 303 RA, 287 fit. Um, he made 12 starts to end the season. And yeah, he was tremendous. I mean, I believe he had a 169 RA his last four starts, but it just looked like the Jekyll and Hyde of this, of a season of a uh, tenure thus far in Miami form, because first year he was really bad. Um, I believe he almost cost the Marlins two wins above replacement by baseball reference war. And then you go into 2022 and in a hundred inning sample, he was excellent. He was worth two wins. So it's literally Jekyll Hyde. It's uh, yin and yang. I mean, like he kind of flipped a switch and it has a lot of people encouraged to think that he may supplant Pablo Lopez. Should he be traded as the number two starter going into 2023? Yeah. Um, Adam, I want to ask you uh, about Luzardo. Was there anything you saw again when you mentioned his injuries and, and also just how Luzardo played? Because when he, when he was dealing, he was easily one of the best um, pitchers on the Marlins just right after Sandy. And just only in a 100-inning sample, it, just, it seems like the potential for Luzardo is almost through the roof. Right. So one thing I did want to preface before I get into this season is that we tend to forget that Luzardo – Entered pandemic baseball is arguably the top pro pitching prospect in all of baseball. It was Mackenzie Gore, Nate Pearson, and Jesus Lazardo, according to Eric Longenhagen back in March of 2020. So to see him, obviously he did have this injuries in the past couple of years, and especially this year. But in you know, in spite of that, over a over the course of 100 innings, he was a 2.2 WAR pitcher by Fangraphs WAR. 
Um, you know, if you were to pitch a full year, that'd be maybe three, three and a half. Um, and not to mention, as he um, continues to get better year after year, it could potentially be higher. And it's only showing that he's worth every bit of that 60 future value grade that he once was. Um, looking into this year, uh, obviously, Lewis mentioned he had a very, very strong start to the season with that five inning outing against the Angels with those 12 Ks. Um, he was put on the shelf with that injury back in early May. Um, and ever since then, like ever since he came back from that injury, you've seen him really have much better command of his pitches, right? His not, not only is he at, he's controlling it better, not walking five guys per nine, like he was before the injury, but now he's basically slashed it in half back to 2.4 and he's limiting a lot of the home runs from what he used to, especially because he's now able to locate any of the pitch, any of his pitches in any single location in the strike zone away from whatever the hitters heat map or whatever a hitters main heat map is. So in that regard, he's been um, a big step forward because he's still inducing a lot of ground balls in spite of still striking out almost 10 guys per nine over the course of the season. Uh, for me, I really do believe, like I mentioned, he's potentially our number two starter going into the next year uh, behind Sandy just because he's had that potential before and he's quite li he's living up to it a lot at this point, especially with the ability to strike out almost 10 guys per nine while still maintaining a pretty decent ground ball rate. Uh, so for me, I'm very excited about Jesus Lazardo, once considered a potential Cy Young candidate as a younger prospect. I'm, I don't think that valuation is still quite reigning true today, but I still do believe he's going to be a very valuable pitcher in Miami. Yeah, um, Lewis, uh, almost the same question, but just with Luzardo, just how is it when you see him in the 100 innings? Do you, did you feel like he can maintain that sort of track if he were to get maybe double 200 innings, 180? Or do you, you kind of see him as a guy that could potentially maybe not reach there, maybe land 150? Or can you see him, aside from those injuries, get to more innings? So the pitcher that I wanted to compare him to in terms of physical makeup and I believe the stuff that he possesses as well as the hand in which he throws with is Carlos Rodon. And I don't have like a statistical comparison necessarily, but what I do have is the fact that they're both left-handed power pitchers who have a proficiency for striking out hitters. Carlos Rodon is great. And Adam would agree with me on this on a per inning basis. He as great as he was for the giants in 2022 on that one, uh, two year, $42 million deal that I believe he's going to opt out of because he is, definitely vaunted his market a lot higher. Um, he's not a guy that's going to consistently give you length because of his ability to miss bats. And as we know, as great and sexy as strikeouts are, they do come with the caveat that they do tend to run up your pitch count because it takes two pitches to get a double play, you know, give a base hit, get a ground ball. It takes at least three to strike a guy out. That isn't to say that you want to shy away from targeting guys whose ability who have the ability to miss bats. However, it is something that I think will limit him from ever consistently being one of those guys who does, who does flirt with the 200 inning season. Do I put it past him to, you know, consistently throw 150, 160 on a good, in a good season, 175, 180 innings. Uh, not necessarily. I just think that his ability to miss bats could be the one thing beyond in conjunction with the command that even if the command does further tend to sort itself out, <clears throat> that could hold him back from being great on a length basis, but on a rate basis, he would be excellent because it's like when he's out there for five or six innings and we've seen him go seven before, he is likely going to put a lot of guys away 
and he does need to show a better ability to maybe not, you know, I mean, being efficient is important, but maybe if he were to take a little bit off and sacrifice a little bit of stuff. I mean, we talked about guys like Jacob deGrom who throws so hard and with that added velocity comes the risk of injury. Now, if somebody like Lizardo were to say, maybe to take a tick or two off his fastball and not go hundred percent every time we maybe could see him um, run into some more weak contact. We could see him, um, you know, get out of innings quicker. He could be efficient, not on a Sandy level, but he could be efficient to the point where we could see him consistently throw more innings. Yeah. So one thing I did want to mention, uh, Lewis, I somewhat would, I, I would kind of disagree in a sense that it's not a matter of his power propensity that is going to limit his innings. I think it's any, if anything, it's going to be a matter of commands. How much of, how much more commands can he tap into as he progresses through his career? Uh, early like on the season, we saw him struggle with uh, command control, but he was inducing a lot more uh, swings and misses. He was striking out 13 guys per nine through the first 29 innings, first 29 innings of the season before he was shelved back in May. Uh, obviously, now he kind of sacrificed that just that uh, just a bit, but he's really controlling his arsenal a lot better. And I think there's still room for improvement on that. Right? There's he's still allowing uh, 0.76 home runs per nine, and he's still walking 2.4, which is really good. Uh, but there is room for improvement in there. And the more he's going to be uh, putting guys away, those strikeout numbers are going to be keeping increasing and the FIP will be lower because he's allowing less just base runners overall. And there's going to be more of these strikeouts, less of these home runs and less of these walks. So I'm very excited about Lazardo for next year. And I think he is capable of reaching that 160, 170, 180 inning plateau as long as he's going to continue commanding his pitches. And one last thing I did want to mention through the first, like until he was put back, uh, until he was injured, <clears throat> he had 29 innings over six starts, which is just under five innings per start. Mm -hmm. uh, conversely for when he came back from the DL for the, from the IL, sorry, it was 12 games started and 71 innings pitched. So that's almost six. So that's a whole inning better just by virtue of him being able to have better command and control. So, and just like I mentioned, because there's still steps that he can take to improve on both of those. Uh, I do believe that his inning threshold will continue to increase proportionally to how well his command and control continue to get. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you guys some of the stats, you know, we're looking at his screen right now, looking at his, um, his percentile rankings in MLB. Um, some of them really just stand out to me. I was hoping to get an explanation from you guys, especially from him, maybe in terms of XBA, also have his ex slugging or just your opinions on maybe what percentile tire rankings maybe are surprised to you and maybe really stand out from Luzardo. Um, I think primarily it's the exit velocity. I think that's one thing you maybe want to see him rain a little bit more. Um, and unfortunately, when you throw hard, you definitely supply a little bit of the, a lot of the power, mind you, for um, for hitters. And I mean, these are good big league hitters. And if you're, you know, if you're winding up in the 35th to 39th percentile on hard hit rate and average exit velo. Like Adam said, there's room to improve. Um, the curveball spin isn't something that we see a lot of from him, and that maybe can be seen in the run value that the pitch generated. But even then, you know, I'd say it's weird. If you look at run value, and I like to use run value a lot, um, to correlate it to his spin rate on his curveball, spin is a thing that people tend to 
correlate with success. Higher spin generally um, correlates to higher success. Lazardo's curveball was worth zero runs per run value this year, and that is literally an average big league pitch. Now, if you look under the surface, he had like an expected batting average on that pitch of 167, which I believe was ninth in the majors, minimum 100 plate appearances ending on the pitch. Uh, he had a 287 slug against. Yeah, I mean, the guy, like, um, I mean, the guy doesn't necessarily rely on spin and not even with the fastball either, which by run value was an above average pitch, as was every other pitch besides the curveball that he threw this year. So, I definitely think some of the metrics, maybe if you're looking at spin rate, don't at least they didn't do him justice this year because we saw the output of what he was doing was definitely going against that grain of like you need to have be a high spin pitcher. And some ballparks cater towards um, higher spin. I know Colorado is a low spin ballpark. You can tend to get away with, um, you know, allowing – with fastballs with lower spin because of the air there. And, you know, Marlins Park is a pitcher's park, so I don't necessarily think that applies. But he kind of maybe just defied that in that sense. And, yeah, like, I mean, if you just look at the numbers and all of his pitches, nobody really got a good grasp on him regardless of what he was throwing. Right. So I think one thing that I'll say that isn't necessarily much of just something shocking but is more of a concern, I would say, and something that <clears throat> could potentially limit his uh, future output uh, is the extension and something we would want to see with extension. I guess I just start with the definition. It's really just showing how much can you leave and break is your wingspan. How, how far is your wingspan from the mound to the plates, allowing the pitcher or sorry, the hitter to have less time to react to a breaking ball essentially is what it is. So obviously the longer your extension as a lefty to be able to throw a slider or breaking ball is very important to be able to fool right-handed hitters. So because of his size, he's only six feet tall. He's really leveraging that as much of his body and torque into his, into his pitches as possible, which is kind of a saying as to a reason as to why he could be getting hurt because it's a very high stress um, uh, delivery, especially with him throwing as high as uh, throwing the gas that he kind of does at times. So um for me, it's kind of just it's something that could be scary, especially with the breaking ball going forward. It could be something that could limit its effectiveness, especially with the low spin. But uh, as long as he keeps that velocity and maintains it, I think he'll be a very good pitcher. So I do like, like I mentioned, I'm not worried about Jesus Lazardo too much, except for maybe the ability to stay healthy. So, yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned an important word there, extension. But I was hoping to talk about a different kind of extension with Luzardo, I think we saw this um, on Eli's board, I believe, for extending uh, Luzardo, and he is in arbitration right now. Um, would you guys extend Luzardo? Or obviously, most likely would, but what is there a contract offer you would like? Because we've had this discussion before with Jazz, and how would you guys go about Luzardo in terms of a contract extension? So I think there's two ways to really look at this, and I think every team should maybe um, – air on both sides of this caution is that if Lazardo continues to develop, let's say the 100 innings that he provided the Marlins in 2022 was a better indicator of the pitcher that we're going to see moving forward. If you give him the theoretical four and 30 that Eli posed, if the Marlins don't manifest um, the great starting pitching with, um, you, if you don't supplement it, should, I should say with, a 
offensive core, at least guys that can consistently score runs. And that's something I want to touch on after. Lazardo, even at four years and 30 million, I believe that's seven and a half million a year. That still makes him incredibly affordable if that's a guy that you have to wind up dangling in trade rumors. So say he is a free agent at the end of the 2026 season. If you were to give him a four-year extension now, um, I don't know if Eli specified if that would buy out any years of um, free agency. I would assume it would maybe go into effect the following year. So he would buy out one year of free agency. Even at seven and a half million for the caliber of pitcher he's becoming, I still think that could get you a very solid return from a big league club that is going to need pitching. I mean, teams always need pitching, and especially perennial contenders will always be on the market to trade for it. Um, and then on the other end, if the Marlins do happen to get better, we could see an Atlanta Braves esque situation where they are consistently playing at or above five hundred. And then you have one of the better pitchers in the National League locked up for a long time, or at least through a year of free agency. Then, you know, it's a win-win in both regards, so long as he continues to pitch well. If it goes bad, and it's $30 million that a small market team or a mid-market team, I guess, would, you know, would have to eat. And I don't think another team would want to take um, part of that deal if he's not productive. He would have no value in trade. Yeah, so I, I, I like the number that Eli had, like especially like the AAV. Um, I do think he probably could get just a little bit more um, instead of seven and a half, maybe like eight, potentially nine. Uh, and I also do believe that they'll might lock him up or at least try to lock him up for a little bit longer than four years, right? So the, I think Sandy got five years plus a couple of years of options. So I think they'll probably do the same thing with Lazardo, uh, five guaranteed, and then try to tack on some sort of team friendly option at the end of the contract. Uh, in terms of that, I would believe it might actually reach in the 40 to 50 million range over the course of five years or more uh, with an AAV of 8 to 10, like we mentioned. Uh, so <clears throat> in that sense, like just like Lewis mentioned, I really I like the, the part where you talked about uh, it would be a very friendly or team friendly contract to eventually trade if you needed to. Um, if you needed to kind of liquidate him and still need extra starting or extra uh, hitters that through the lineup and to replenish that lineup in some way, you could absolutely do that by trading Lazardo at the deadline or at any point in his um, during that contract because he's likely to be a two win pitcher every year throughout the course of his uh, arbitrary throughout the course of his team controlled years and up until he were to be extended hypothetically. But signing him there would at least guarantee him to be making some sort of money, even if he were to be better. Um, potentially, and allows the team to have a lower floor just in case he were to actually not perform as well. So having that security, knowing what Lazardo will make down the road with really only upside to go with because he has a very high floor is something that I believe Kim Ang and the rest of the front office will consider while they're trying to work out an extension, especially with Jesus Lazardo if he's one of those guys this offseason. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. 
Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Yeah, and uh, just with Luzardo, do you guys think um, he can maintain it or the injuries, do the injuries scare you at all? Um, as we've only seen only 100 innings pitch is max this season. He's never pitched more. He never started more than 18 games in a year. Um, do you guys, does the injury history scare you for him to be a type of guy like we see Sandy who can go out there 30, 31 starts or even someone who's in the upper 20s? This is someone who has not had 20-game start in the Major League Baseball in his career. Is that something that might scare the Marlins in terms of giving him a contract extension? I think um, they do have the benefit of pitching depth where if he doesn't give them 30 starts consistently, they can definitely find ways to fill in those gaps barring additional injury. Um, I want, well, but with Adam said regarding extension and physical extension, him actually the way that he delivers pitches to the plate, that in itself may scare me a little bit. I think maybe it would be good to like for us to go through and look at the lower end of guys from an extension standpoint on the um, savant page by percentile rankings and see how often guys like that tend to be injured because that may give us an indicator though i think it may be flawed analysis to an extent of how you can project his durability moving forward um if that's not something that I, like adam noted that he doesn't look to work on and that may and hopefully he can do that without altering his mechanics too much, then I'm not that concerned about it. I think if they do extend him after, say, next season and they acquire a premium position player and they trade maybe a couple of starting pitchers that they could have held on to, then it could be a concern. Um, and then you also just, again, you just have to weigh the fact that they aren't a big market team, so they're not just going to hand out contracts the way that a team like the Padres now do or – you know, the Dodgers would. So, I mean, from an output standpoint, no. Um, from a durability standpoint, that may be the only thing that would scare me. And, I mean, when you talk about output, though, I wanted to touch on this. When he came back in those 12 games at the end of the season, if that's any inkling of, like, what you're going to get moving forward, he had a opponent's OPS of 571. In those games, I believe that's what Carlos Rodon had for the entirety of the season. Again, I reference Rodon as great on a per inning basis, and that's kind of where I see Lazardo at right now. The Marlins were two and ten in those games. So if at the end of the day, if he continues to get better and he's generally motivated to win, you'd think that maybe he would like the team to invest in the position player core to allow him to maybe come up with more wins. I know analytics kind of have made the win and I guess a not the very important stat for pitchers. It's not obviously we know it's not the best to gauge pitcher talent. Um, I mean, you look at somebody like Kyle Wright, who won 20 games this year for the Atlanta Braves, yet his opponent's OPS was 46 points higher than what Lazardo allowed, 647 to 601. Um, Lazardo. Obviously, I think moving forward, if you were asking me which pitcher would I rather have, I'd probably rather take Lazardo. Um, the reason Kyle Wright wins 21 games is because Atlanta has a core position players that have the ability to score runs. Yeah. Lazardo and Adam helped me query this today on Fangraphs, 124 pitchers through 100 innings in 2022. By average run support per game, 
Lizardo ranked 120th in oh. So it's, it gets back to that 2-10 and in those final 12 starts that he made. It's an indicator that if you do extend him, um, you better do it at a right time because if they really want to compete, they're going to have to – and if trades don't work, they're going to have to do something in the free agent market. Um, and then you're going to be stuck with all this pitching that you have no idea what to do with in a couple of years' time. Again, I think, you know, the four and seven record is one thing, but it's what we what we've talked about for the first twenty five minutes of this episode is that he's obviously a lot better than his record leads to believe, and you can't, you know, you can't win a game on your own, but you can lose it. And unfortunately, the Marlins haven't helped him that much in that regard. Yeah. Um, in terms of him staying healthy, I don't think. I think there's like you know there's some concern obviously from the past, but you need really only need to look forward. And one thing I did want to mention, Louis, you just kind of talked about here at the end about extending um, Lazardo and potentially having this surplus of team friendly contract pitchers and some <clears throat> sorry in some point in the future if the offense is still logging on. I don't see that as quite as much of a negative as you probably probably are making it out to be. Just simply because I think it's just another time where you would have to hit the reset button. And if anything, you have at least chips in order to help you. You know, if it would be another painful process, it'd be something we'd all be complaining about as Marlins fans and analysts, another a painful shutdown of the organization. But if it gets to the point where if we're stalling out without any offense and you still have Sandy Lazardo, who would hypothetically be on, a, on a, an extension, and let's see if Lopez is still there or Edward Cabrera, and you know the list goes on and on with the number of guys they have. Mm-hmm. They could be getting traded, and that could mean having trying to replenish for another rebuild. And hopefully, this time around, they can actually hit on some of the hitting prospects that they're trying to acquire. I didn't mean to actually say that, like as a pun, but um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I totally think that he is worth the extension, right? You can, I do believe he is capable of signing something, and like I mentioned, the eight to ten million dollar range. Uh, the injury risk is notable, but I think he's too talented, like Lewis said, on a per inning basis to really give that up because he's just he's so talented. So I think it's something that you, you, you still give him, you still try to pay him in spite of the injury history. And I, the, one of the reasons why I said it would be more than four years is because he's got two Upton still, like I think you just showed right now at the beginning of January 2023. It would be two years and almost three. So if he was, if he were to sign a four-year deal, they're really only buying out the team-controlled years, and it doesn't really give them another or much of uh, his free agency. Although I do think that Eli was accounting or um, trying to account for that with team options. So, but I, I still would like to see him try to be longer and then have another team option. I do agree with him on that. But yeah. that's my take on a potential extension and his potential risk associated what any risk associated with that would be. Yeah. And, and not right now look at a screen of Luzardo's game logs um, for the last couple starts um, of the season. And one thing that really sticks out to me, if you look at from, I believe August 19th to his last start in October 3rd, um, there was only one start where he didn't have at least six innings. And that was the match where he gave him five earned runs. But besides that, it's two earned runs. One and run, and especially that last game against Atlanta, going six innings, no one runs, four hits on 12 strikeouts, really shows the potential of Jesus Luzardo and just how great he's been doing um, later on in the season. And with Luzardo, I want to go back to Adam. 
Um, I know Lewis mentioned that he kind of sees Luzardo as like a Carlos Rendon type player, type pitcher. Is there any comparison that you may have with Luzardo? Um, I actually never really kind of looked into a potential comparison for him, but I do agree on the sense that he is a very good per inning basis pitcher who really maximizes his frame to make the most of his pitches. So one thing like that I will say, uh, like you, I think he mentioned it pretty well, it would be a guy like what I would mention would be Carlos Rodon. Um, a guy who's not really similar at like in the way that I would say he's not a velocity guy, but in the way that he maximizes his frame to the best of his abilities to really put everything he can on the pitch is Marcus Stroman. Um, Marcus Stroman is 5'8 and throws like 93, 94. But for a guy that small who is efficient, as, as efficient as he is with his core and his middle body, just like Lazardo could be as well or is as well to be able to induce that kind of velocity at his frame is absolutely an athletic marvel in my opinion. So that's the kind of, that's the, one of the things that I would say is comparable just to kind of give my unique sense. I didn't really do a whole lot of research into what a good comparable would be, but I do know that Lazardo is very efficient with his middle body and as an athlete. So because he's, because he's able to induce such great velocity at just six feet tall. Um, or let me see. Yeah. He's exactly six feet tall. Um, just like Marcus Stroman, he's just at a different velocity because he's smaller, is able to really throw hard for his size. So that's one of the things that I do like, that it's something really nice to watch, just how athletic they are. And it really just goes to show that pitchers are the best athletes on the field. I guess now, too, you're kind of asking more of pitchers to be great on a per inning basis. Um, I think that's the expectation that we've set for aces. I mean... You know, Garrett Cole and the likes of, you know, Alcantara and, the, you know, guys like that are very seldom. They, you know, they could give you depth while maintaining their stuff. We've seen Lazardo able to go out there and give the Marlins bits of excellence, but it's not for extensive periods of time. Um, but then again, nowadays, like the average start, I believe this year was like right around five innings. So you're kind of just, you know, looking at, um, you know, if he gives you six innings on average, a start that's, you know, you could be talking about a guy, if he makes 30 starts who could possibly contend for a Cy Young award, like that's, you know, the expectations have definitely been tampered for starting pitchers. Um, he's a prime example of that. And yeah, I mean, it really just gets back to command. You know, if he doesn't really, um, if the, if the control doesn't ever further sort itself out, then again, he could, like Adam said, his floor while still being high because of the stuff could greatly be affected by the fact that he just won't work deep into games because of his inability to command the strike zone. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like, I think he'll always be, he'll always have that opportunity just because I've always think, I've always thought his command was pretty good for his pitch mix. Um, that coupled with his just advanced slider fastball combo that he had growing up in the Oakland system, and especially also within Washington's before he was dealt early on back in 2017, I think, uh, is really what makes him just such a special pitcher. And it, it's really just going to be a matter of him being able to stay healthy and consistent throughout the course of the year. Obviously, we saw him have that co command issue earlier on this year, but it's something that he really figured out uh, as the you know down the stretch and once he came back from the injured list. 
Uh, now that he's going to potentially have a full year in 2023 to finally work things out, let's see what he's capable of doing. I fully believe that if, if all comes together, he's a future all-star. He's very, very, very good. Jesus Lazardo. And the only reason why Oakland was okay living him up for in for the rest of for half a season of Starling Marte is because of that injury history. They didn't think that he potentially was somebody who was going to be available to pitch for them for so long. So they were okay letting him go. Obviously, so far it's turned out to be a mistake because just this year alone, Lazardo's put up two wins and Marte left the same year. We still have four years of Lazardo, and I really do believe this trade is going to continue to pay off bountifully for the next couple of years. And I think if we extend him, it could continue to do so. If we ever had to even trade him, or at least for the sake of securing the kind of guaranteed money, if he were to even pitch better, would be a plus for him, or at least a plus for the organization. Yeah, and yeah. The Marlins can parlay that into something, you yeah. know, pretty good, regardless of mm-hmm. what happens on that end. Yeah, uh, but before we go uh, uh, with Luzardo, his FIP, I was looking at a three point one two. Lewis, you're like the FIP god. FIP, FIP is one of your stats. Um, talk. I want you guys to talk to me about his FIP um, with. Um, with Luzardo, 3.12, lower than his ERA. Uh, before we go on and and, uh, and talk to me about uh, Luzardo's FIP. Yeah, I mean, FIP really, like people should know, it's fielding independent pitching. So what that really states is that you're taking the defense out of the equation. So it's strikeouts, home runs, and walks, things that a pitcher can only control. Um, with that in mind, yeah, Lazardo. obviously when you're cutting back on the walks the way he was, and you're also striking out guys the way that we always forecasted he was able to, then of course, you know, your FIP will definitely be better than your ERA. And Lazardo's blowups were seldom. He had a couple of them. If you see on the, on the graphic that we have here, Adam, you can obviously see there was a couple of outings where, you know, post-injury, he came back and he was, you know, less than stellar, but he still gave you length in each of those starts, except for one, he went at least six innings or at least five innings. And that's something to, you know, acknowledge because of, like I said earlier, how pitchers are used nowadays. But, you know, he's, his, his ability to miss bats and, uh, like I said, the continued uh, growing command that he at least has started to exude. But again, I don't want our our listeners and you know fellow Marlins fans to think that just because that he reined in his command a little bit that he's solved. I mean, there's still a lot to be done. He was still in, I believe, the 36 percentile in walk rate. So he, you know, this can happen to be an issue at some points. Um, but because of his ability to miss bats, the fact that he just did not give up a lot of hits, I believe he only allowed 69 hits in 100 innings. It was like sixth in baseball for pitchers with at least 100 innings. I believe he was tied with Dylan Cease in that regard. Um, you know, that's what's going to happen if you are you can miss bats and not allow base runners or at least limit them. Your FIP will definitely say that, hey, you maybe got a little unlucky. And um, obviously, like, the, the home run will affect your FIP a little bit. But he did a pretty good job of preventing that. Only 10 home runs allowed in 100 innings. So, you know, you projected over a 200-inning season you know, 20 home runs in 200 innings, you're going to have instances where your FIP will say that, hey, you probably got a little unlucky. Um, Adam, do you have anything to bring up with that, or do you want me to bring up some breaking news from the Marlins? 
Um, I'm not gonna lie. Let's get into the breaking news. I kind of got right. a little distracted, but so, yeah, for sure, I got some stuff to say. So about during this. this episode, while while streaming, got a notification that the Marlins, um, or I should say, Skip Schumacher, um, added someone to his coaching staff, first base coach and outfield coach. Uh, uh, Adams, one of his legends from Columbus, from the University of Miami, John Jay. John with a good jump. The good center fielders are one, two steps in progress when the contact's made. I don't think among the Cardinal fan base that John Jay gets enough credit for the kind of player he has been. Warner World Series title in 2011. Um, with the cards from Miami, it couldn't get any better. This is the team of alliterations. All right, John Jay, Skip Schumacher, um, now maybe Adam McBarney, who knows? Um, Adam, tell me a little bit about John Jay, what the Marlins are getting here with the Miami native. Yeah, so I mean, it's I am kind of shocked to see this signing. I wasn't really expecting John Jay to enter the coaching realm, but I definitely see the connection with John Jay making his debut with the Cardinals back in 2010 and playing a couple of years alongside Skip with the with the Redbirds. So he was always a beloved a beloved figure in the locker room, one of the best guys on the team. He is like obviously a Miami native. He grew up and went to the U. Uh, he played with one of my cousins or one of my friend's uh, cousins, and he's always been like a, a fantastic human being. I, you know, that's the kind of theme that you want to see. And, you know, seeing Skip and Jay have a really good connection in St. Louis, they've, I've, you know, now that I remember, I've seen them, you know, kind of talking. They've always been laughing in the dugout together. We've seen them in interviews here in St. Louis on the local media, uh, always talking positively about one another. And there's never been a shortage of good things said about, like we've already said with Skip Schumacher, but additionally with John Jay. I think he's a class A, class a act, fantastic addition to the, the coaching staff. And I'd love to see how he's going to be able to, you know, see how he's going to be able to uh, uh, work with the team to potentially lead them to the playoffs in the future. Yeah. Yeah. John Jay was always one of those guys that I liked growing up, obviously. Um, I don't believe he's ever coached in the big leagues before. I mean, he was an active player as recently as last season. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see how he does in his first go around. He could, you know, we'll see how maybe he can work with the likes of, you know, Brian Anderson, who um, we were talking with last night, I mean, last night, Eli and co were talking with Aram Layton, and Aram was uh, noting that Anderson's reads in the outfield maybe looked a bit lackadaisical at times. His first step wasn't that great. Maybe if Anderson is back with the club in 2023, Jay can be someone he works with extensively to fix maybe the what had plagued him in the outfield when it comes to running routes. Um, you know, these are all just the initial things that come to mind when thinking of players on the active roster at this time and the role he may play, I believe he's a, he's a first base coach too. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I like, I like to hire a lot. Yeah. And you mentioned someone that just played as recently as last season. So he's still new and, and fresh to coaching, but he, he knows everything that's going on with clubhouses. Now baseball. Now he leans more, I'm guessing more to the players as he's just coming off. Uh, playing in 2021 to go straight into coaching. So, uh, again, I, th- I think it's a great hire. Um, I-, I think Skip is going to provide a really great coaching staff. And, again, this is uh, – I think this part of this icing on it, not waiting for the cherry to see who gets on left in there, but to get someone who just played last season to just coaching now, Miami native, um, I think it's overall um, great for Miami. Just like Luzardo we were talking about earlier, 
Um, Adam, Lewis, a- any final thoughts before we go? Luzardo, John Jay, just what you're thinking about everything after this episode. I'm just hyped for John Jay to be in Miami next year, man. This is actually so sick. It's going to give me another reason to go down there and see some more, uh, some more like other family friends. And now potentially John Jay going to talk to him about that and see if he recognizes any of the people. So that'd be kind of fun to see about. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see now um, since I mean, maybe this is like the first inkling a week, kind of an idea of um, what Skip's going to prioritize with his coaching staff. So I'll be interesting to see who he further pairs Jay with and Mel to, I guess, accompany the coaching staff heading into 2023, but it should be interesting. Uh, yeah. Opening day can't come sooner, but we got free agency. We got to get through first. Ooh, let's see what happens there. Let's see if any other breaking news comes out. Uh, maybe next episode of Histology. But for myself, for Daniel, for Adam, for Lewis, Eli behind the scenes working his magic. Uh, talked about Luzardo. We even got some breaking news in the middle of the episode. So stay tuned for Fishology. You don't know what might not, what might happen. And next episode, we're going to go into the minors. We're going to see who we have. We might have talk about Jose Salas, Yuri Perez. But we're going to bring up some, uh, some minor leaguers next episode. So stay tuned. And always, go fish.